Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The body of Private Sean Rooney, the Irish peacekeeper killed in Lebanon, arrives home to Ireland. His funeral arrangements have been confirmed. The Refugee Council raises child safety issues at the City West Transit Hub outside Dublin, while in Dundalk, Ukrainian refugees ordered to leave their accommodation are told they can stay for Christmas. It feels like a miracle, yeah, for us. <laughs> yeah, it's a Christmas miracle. Meanwhile, Russian drone attacks continue on Ukraine's critical infrastructure with no sign of a Christmas ceasefire in sight. And former U.S. President Donald Trump is set to face possible federal criminal charges over the January 6th U.S. Capitol riot. Funeral arrangements have been announced for Private Sean Rooney, the young Irish soldier killed in an attack in Lebanon last week. His funeral mass will take place in Dundalk on Thursday morning with burial later in the day in County Donegal. Well, early this morning, the coffin carrying his remains was flown into Casement Aerodrome in Baldonnell. Our news correspondent, Zara King, now reports. Touching down on home soil for a final time. Just a month since he began his overseas duty in November, today UN peacekeeper Sean Rooney returns to Ireland, repatriated into casement aerodrome in Baldonnell with full military honours. The 24-year-old was killed when a convoy of Irish personnel were attacked in Lebanon on Wednesday. Waiting on the ground in the wind and rain were family and friends, including Private Rooney's mother and young fiancé. His family rooted in military service. This, a devastating loss for those who knew and loved him. Thornishton, newly appointed Minister for Foreign Affairs and Defence, Micheál Martin, among those present to pay their respects to a young man who devoted his life to protecting others. Private Rooney was based at Camp Shamrock in southern Lebanon. He'd been taking a two-hour journey to Beirut where two colleagues were being dropped to the airport to fly home for a family funeral. The young soldier died after the vehicle was surrounded and came under fire. The body of Sean Rooney was accompanied home this morning by his company commander, Commandant Brian Connolly. Prior to departing Beirut, Private Rooney was posthumously awarded several honours, including the United Nations Peacekeeping Medal. Major General Pierre Saab, representing the Lebanese Armed Forces, awarded him the War Medal, the Wounded Medal and the Appreciation Medal Bronze Degree from the Lebanese Armed Forces. A post-mortem was carried out on the body of Private Rooney this afternoon. Several investigations are underway to establish what happened. 
those who wish to pay tribute can now sign a digital book of condolences online at military.ie. The funeral mass will take place on Thursday at 9 o'clock at the Holy Family Church in Dundalk. From there, Sean will make his final journey to Donegal, where he will be buried with full military honours. In the meantime, his family is mourning the loss of a much-loved son, fiancé and hero. Zara King, Virgin Media News. Well, I'm joined on my panel here tonight by Fine Gael TD, Alan Farrell, Independent Senator, Jared Crockwell, Irish Sun political correspondent, Adam Higgins, and Ocean FM broadcaster and journalist, Claire Ronan. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. Um, to come to you first, Alan Farrell, um, and we saw the, the body of Sean Rooney being repatriated here and very distressing for the family, very difficult, especially awful in the run-up to Christmas. Um, and the focus, I suppose, in Lebanon on the investigation yes. that is taking place. Do you have confidence that this investigation by the Irish Defence Forces will bring about the answers as to what exactly happened? Well, I certainly hope so, Claire. Um, and firstly, my, my, uh, may I offer my condolences to the family and indeed to his colleagues um, in the Defence Forces who remain on duty uh, this evening. Um, it was an awful tragedy, um, one which uh, the family deserve all the answers that are available. Um, I know there's a great deal of cooperation um, with the with the Lebanese, and I think it would be very important uh, that that information is is made available to us as quickly as possible, mm -hmm. so that we can determine exactly what happened. Um, and if lessons need to be learned, well, then uh, we can do so. But in the days before um, his funeral, I think really we must be we must think of his family, um, but also his colleagues in the defence forces mm -hmm. who've lost um, a friend and colleague. Um, and I think if I could just say <clears throat> both yourselves here in Virgin Media and RTE did a, did a tremendous service in terms of the presentation of the ceremonies both um, in Lebanon and uh, here in Casement. So mm. it was very, very moving, I think, for everybody. Yeah, and I think it's going to be obviously an extremely difficult few days, Jared Crockwell, for, for the family and for the colleagues of, of, of Private um, Sean Rooney, but also looking um, to Lebanon and to, you know, the camp that's there and all the soldiers who are out there now and are trying to come to terms with what hap what's happened, are looking as well at their own security. And certainly it's been called into question, hasn't it, over, over recent days as to, you know, whether it's secure enough there um, for soldiers to be there. And about, I imagine, the future of the mission there for Irish soldiers. What are your thoughts on it? Well, firstly, I should offer my condolences to the family of uh, Private Rooney. Um, when soldiers deploy overseas, they deploy in the full knowledge that they are putting their lives on the line. Our soldiers walk around the Lebanon, drive around the Lebanon with mm. loaded weapons. At any time a situation can change. They're living in a very volatile situation all the time. We've been very fortunate over the last 23 odd years that those who have gone to the Lebanon have come home unscathed by their experience there. Right now, my thoughts are with Lieutenant Colonel Murphy, uh, a wonderful leader um, in charge of my own former unit, the 1st Infantry Battalion in Galway, before he deployed. And he now has the job with his mm. senior officers and senior NCOs to, uh, I suppose, work on the morale of the men and women that are serving there, make sure that they continue to do the job they went out to do. But you talk about the future of Lebanon. Irish peacekeepers have to remain in Lebanon. Mm -hmm. 
The only time we will take Irish peacekeepers out of Lebanon is when uh, General Sean Clancy, the Chief of Staff, decides that the security situation has deteriorated so much that our soldiers are exposed to an unacceptable level of risk. What, what do you make of what the former Minister for Foreign Affairs, Dermot O'Hearn, he was writing in the, the Daily Mail uh, today saying, if we are to continue to provide troops to this particular area, we need to get assurances that such events such as last week will not reoccur. And otherwise, our long association with Lebanon may have to come to an end. I, I, I think Dermot O'Hearn is quite entitled to his opinion, but... There is no situation where Irish troops are deployed overseas that it is not a war zone. And when you're in a war zone, nothing is certain. You can seek all the assurances you want, but you're dealing with highly volatile situation. You're in a country where the government that's in place at the moment is a sort of a caretaker government. Um, the bottom line on it is UNIFIL and the participation of the Irish troops is important not just for the people of Lebanon, it's important for the world uh, yeah, that they're there. There has been, of course, reporting um, since this, this, this awful death and this dreadful attack, and we have to remember there were other soldiers injured as well in that attack, that it's the latest in a series of hostile altercations in the region between local groups and troops um, serving with the, the, the peacekeeping mission in Lebanon. Um, so... You know, for, for, for that reason, it has really shone a light, hasn't it, I think, for, for government as well, um, as they look to, to carry out this investigation, Adam, um, and where they go from here, that while I think people are very well aware when you are a soldier that you are going to be in danger zones, at the same time, that to an extent, there is, there is an element of security when you are on a peacekeeping mission in a region. Mm. And you're right, this isn't the, the first incident um, in Lebanon, and it's not the first incident even with Irish troops in Lebanon, but it's definitely the most serious and the biggest escalation in, in violence that they've seen against peacekeepers in a long, long time. And I think what the government, it's, it's good that there's three prongs to this investigation, that there's the Irish Defence Forces, UNIFIL, and the Lebanon Armed Forces as well, that maybe we can finally get answers through all of this. And I just really hope that the government here keeps the pressure up on UNIFIL and through international relations that we can keep this investigation going and so that family can get the answers that they deserve. Yeah, and I think certainly, Claire, everyone's thoughts are with the family of Private Sean Rooney. Um, devastating, devastating, devastating for the family. And I think, you know, the fact that he was so young, he'd only gone out in November. Um, and, you know, to hear about his, his, his mentality, his approach to the job um, was really, you know, I think very, very difficult then to, to hear this news. It, you know, I don't think there'll be a person in the country who hasn't been affected. I, I just couldn't stop thinking about his mother, Natasha, the girlfriend who he was to, his fiancée, Kelly, who he was to marry next year, gave the most mature and balanced interview to the Irish Times the following day. You know, in its maturity, it was shocking because she's only 22. Um, but I was looking at the picture and I, I'm a mother of five and I was thinking of the pride of your gorgeous son going off. It's just tragic. I think this Christmas, if any of my family were serving uh, in anywhere in a peacekeeping capacity, I would be looking at their role and we would be having a conversation because I think this is going to make people think, because for 20 years, nothing has happened. So you're inclined to sort of forget the danger that people are in. And, and I came back at, when I was asking Alan at the start, do you think that we will get answers? Do you think we will find out what happened? What's your view on that, Gerard? Do you think that 
you know, there will be the cooperation. The answers will be forthcoming on this and that it will bring any, any reassurance to, you know, the personnel who are operating there in the region. What I can categorically assure you of is that the Irish Defence Forces investigation will lay out for us the sequence of events that led to this horrible, horrible murder. And that's what it was, was murder and nothing else. Um, my faith in the Lebanese investigation, unless we get the international community, as my colleagues have said here, uh, the United States, European Union, to get behind this case, to put pressure on Lebanon, to identify the perpetrators, to bring them to justice. Private Rooney deserves that much at least. But um, the United Nations uh, investigation will be more or less the same as the Irish Defence Forces one. But the key thing here is that to bring justice to Private Rooney is the most important thing. Mm. And a, an interesting little event, we talk about the soldiers putting themselves in danger. The sergeant in charge of the party today collecting the coffin his father was shot by the IRA. And, um, you know, soldiers, when they take up arms, their lives mm -hmm. are at risk all the time. We've lost 48 in the Lebanon mm -hmm. and we have continued to stay there. And I think we will continue to stay. All right. Um, just to, to look at another story today and the number of patients on trolleys today has matched the all-time high, that's according to the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation, uh, saying that 760 people were left waiting for a hospital bed today. And this is the highest daily figure on record since January 6th of 2020, when that exact same figure, 760 people were waiting for admission. And the INMO says today's trolley figures are unacceptably high. And this level of overcrowding is a danger to patients and to staff alike. Uh, University Hospital Limerick, uh, always a black spot, that tops today's list with 92 patients, followed by Cork University Hospital with 76 patients. Um, I feel whenever I read out these uh, trolley figures, and it's always talking about numbers, there are people in desperate situations behind those numbers, Alan Farrell. Mm. Um, and this is not, sadly, this is not news. No. And actually reaching a, a, an all-time high today on a well, par with news, 2020. It's not new, unfortunately. Well, it's, well, we had a record, I think, in, in, in November. We had a record last month. We had a record set in October. We're breaking records left, right and centre. Yes. Uh, and the question is, it feels like every time this happens, we have the INMO nurses coming out saying this is unacceptable. It's a patient and a staff uh, major, you know, health risk happening here. And, and where are the urgent solutions? Well, I think there's a couple of things that have to be said, Claire. I mean, first of all, we have had a very significant increase um, in presentations to emergency departments up and down the country. It's about 7%, but That I believe, could have been predicted. On a, per uh, on a per annum basis. And given our rising population, of course, it is the case that that could and should be predicted. And that's exactly. why, that's so, why, that's why the, the likes of the winter plan puts very significant okay. sums of so money. So let, let's in, say... In, I, if I could, if that puts very significant yeah. sums of money... Uh, over 170 million euro into a programme of delivery, ensuring that we have the hospital beds. So there's over a thousand new hospital beds that have been provided countrywide mm. uh, in the recent so year. So why are the figures so high? Well, it, it's a combination of, of factors. It's uh, the likes of COVID, respiratory illnesses, uh, among yeah. other things. We also have very significant backlogs relating to uh, the COVID period where uh, individuals weren't able to like, attend. Are we going to keep blaming COVID for no, all the problems now no, that are happening right now? No, we have to reflect reality on that yeah. conversation. But let's about say what in terms of solutions, because we know what happened during COVID. They opened up the private hospitals. 
they, they, you know, there were emergency measures that happened because of the likes of this. Now, are they going to be actively well, considered it, when we it, see it, those it figures? Are we not even into January? It actually, it, it actually illustrates, though, what government and indeed the opposition have been trying to achieve through Sláinte Care, and that is that we would have a single-tier health service where patients are uh, admitted for the purposes of care, regardless of whether they have insurance, regardless of how much money they have in their okay. bank account. Short term. In order, in order, in order, short term, as I said, that's what the winter plan is about. The winter plan is 170 million euros. I could go through the various facets of it uh, where we will see recruitment, uh, particularly in relation to staff. We've had over 4,500 nurses uh, well, taken on board in the last couple of years. Hay, um, I mean, the issue of recruitment, like, yeah, it, it's, it's very hard to make headline there. I have a niece myself who's across in London having completed a dual degree in Trinity. Is she coming home anytime in, soon? And worked in, 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 uh, in Tala for a couple of years. She will be coming home, yes, for, for lots of different reasons, but I'm perfectly aware mm. uh, that it is very difficult to keep uh, our qualified nurses and, and indeed doctors uh, in this country. I'm very conscious, Jared, that people watching are, are jaded. They're sick and tired of hearing the story. Not only that, when they have a loved one or they themselves have to go and be greeted with their hospital system, they know all about that, those waiting times and those figures. Listen, you know, way back when Mary Harney set up the HSE, she declared trolley, the cr trolley crisis a national crisis. It hasn't changed. Um, with all due respects to my colleague Alan here, uh, he mentions the money that has been put into health. I think we could pour money into this bottomless pit forever and not get a change. What I would ask is, why hasn't government sat down with the Irish Nurses Organisation, for example, and listened to what they have to say? They are the frontline people. Also, the uh, lower level, I suppose you would call them support staff in the hospital. I've been in an A&E where I've been stuck in the middle of a ward, uh, the A&E ward, lying on a bed for three nights running with lights as bright as the lights in here shining over me because they have to do their job. Um, and I will say when you get into the health system, you can't get better treatment. But the problem is getting in. And you mentioned Limerick at the top of this uh, section. The Limerick Hospital has been the subject of discussion in Shannon for the last two and a half years by all sides. Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin, mm. everybody has been talking about the situation in Limerick. There is something in the health centre or the health service that we have not identified. There is a blocker there, a blocker of some sort, which is causing the catastrophe we have. I've looked at in education well, how poor schools can be Well, we keep hearing the answers, are, the answer is launcher care, but... Uh, is it just another HSE? I don't know. Everybody is yeah. excited by it. Well, if, I, if I could, just, just on that point, because Please, I, I, I listen to those debates as well as, as Jared, and, and what I would say is it, let's look elsewhere. Let's look at what they're doing in Waterford, for instance where there have been very significant waiting lists reduced quite dramatically. And I think that's down to hospital management. So that is something that we all should assess and analyse in okay, terms so of the outcomes. OK, so back on the HSE. But, but just, just to make, a very, just to make a very clear point, and I think it was illuminated uh, so this evening. So is that what you're saying? It's sort of mismanagement in many hospitals well, well, is the cause I, No, I'm not saying this. it's mismanagement. I'm saying we need to look at how outcomes are, are better in terms of turnaround times for people accessing the health services in Waterford versus Limerick, right. in Cork okay. versus Dublin and elsewhere. And there's things that we can learn uh, from that process. But the, one of the, the, the hugely important parts uh, of this debate is actually the outcomes. Um, and we've touched upon it. Yes, 
uh, the health service seems to be in constant crisis in terms of uh, emergency department numbers, among other things. But the biggest issue that we, or the biggest issue that we should highlight, is the fact that the outcomes are uh, dramatically improving, and Ireland has the highest life expectancy it in the European like Union, I, only two beneath right, okay. uh, the world leader. Right. Okay. Outcomes when you Japan. get into the system, but I think mentioning. what we're discussing here tonight is those record trolley figures, which we simply can't get away from. Um, very briefly, just to talk about the, the reshuffle and all the political uh, movements that are going on um, this week, Adam. Um, it's been called a, a reshuffle because there wasn't much of a reshuffle, but we might see a bit more action um, in the junior ministries. Um, having said that, is this a big deal in Leinster House, but you know, pretty much meaningless to anyone looking in on the outside? Yeah, I think there was kind of... Um some expectation dampened over the weekend when, like, I mean, we had heard on Saturday during the whole uh, rotation process before it happened that there may be, you know, a big shock and things like this. And it never really came. And I think it was well flagged that Michal Martin was going to go to the Department of Foreign Affairs and that would trigger that little move. It's going to be a bit different, I think, during the week when the comes to the ministers of state, the junior minister positions, because there has been... Uh, Fina Gael in particular saying that they're going to move the pack around a bit. Apparently in the Greens there won't be too much of a movement and small movements within Fianna Fáil, but in the Fianna Gael positions there seems to be a, a desire to make things, to move things and change things around a bit. So I think that could be a, a, a difficult hurdle to jump for Leo Varadkar because there is people who will want to go up and people who want to go down. Exactly. And, and we're hearing uh, we're hearing tonight reports in the Irish Times there's no money for any extra junior ministries and they're not considering that. So, so there you go. Well, the issue, though, I think that's very important to mention is if you've got a talented group of politicians who are coming up the ranks, they need to know that there's a career path ahead of them. So you could be talking about any career, but they can't keep the same people in the same job. Now, I understand with the reshuffle, they probably didn't want to do a big reshuffle because Is that the way it works in politics, though, Claire? Or are they, well, you if know, I, was... you, I know what you mean. You see the same familiar faces, but... But I'm um, talking more about the junior ministers, which we'll know in the next couple of days. Listen, people need to know that it's going to be something at the end of the day for them. You know, they can't hang around forever else, waiting for... Uh, or else they won't run again, which is Leo's Exactly, big and this is probably what's one, being used. One part that I think might be interesting right. coming in this week is that there were supposed to be your rumours that a new uh, junior minister to help Roderick O'Gorman help with the Ukrainian uh, accommodation situation, and that seems to have washed away. And a shock over the weekend then was that the Taoiseach said he wanted to create a new unit for children, uh, issues within around children within his own department, which I think raised some questions then about what ha happens with that current department of children and, and Roderick O'Gorman's role there. Yeah. We'll have to see. We will talk more about that because um, coming up next, no sign of a Christmas ceasefire in the war in Europe. We'll talk about that and the refugee situation here. Do stay with us. Russia has launched fresh drone attacks on Ukraine's critical infrastructure. The attacks came as Russian President Putin visited his key ally, Belarus, to drum up more support for his war. Well, news correspondent Sarah Coates is in Kyiv in Ukraine, and I spoke to her about today's attacks. 
Yes, hello there, Claire. Lovely to speak to you. Well, look, it's been another very difficult day for the people living here in Kiev. Almost four million residents. This is their home. Uh, it was around 2 a.m. this morning, then 5 a.m. A little later, another massive wave of drones flown in from the Azov Sea. We do know that 35 of them entered Ukrainian territory and came here to the capital, Kiev. Now, Ukraine's uh, aerial defences managed to shoot down 30 of those drones, but five of them did make it through. And as you mentioned, they really critically damaged even more of this power infrastructure. Now, right now, we're seeing temperatures here of minus eight degrees in Fahrenheit. That's around 17 or so. And let me tell you, it is freezing. We're seeing emergency rolling power blackouts happening right around the country. And if you have a think about it, you know, there are people in hospitals, there are sick people, there are elderly Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. People, and they are simply unable to heat themselves. Uh, many people also are without running water. So this is a particularly dire condition, Claire, given that these temperatures are only going to continue to drop. Now, um, Ukrainian President Zelensky, he came out a short while ago uh, to say that he has word that Russia has actually acquired another 250 of these drones. Now, these drones are widely believed to be of Iranian origin, uh, and they do inflict a lot of damage. They're quite, uh, they're quite good at getting around air defence systems. They fly pretty low, and they pretty much hover in the air. They're carrying these explosive warheads on the nose uh, and then when they do find their target they drop down and completely decimate it so you know if this is indeed the case if Zelensky is right there the 250 more of them are in Russia's hands then it's said to be a pretty dismal few months ahead. Meanwhile, Sarah, Vladimir Putin met with his uh, Belarusian counterpart, Alexander Lukashenko, in, in Belarus, uh, his first visit there, I think, since 2019, in order to drum up war support. 
Yeah, well, look, this is extremely worrying. We do know that Belarus is uh, Russia's closest ally. He flew there a few hours ago. We did see, actually, uh, some pictures released, uh, a few planes actually leaving when Putin did leave Belarus there to really confuse people as to which one he was in. Uh, the two held a meeting, Putin uh, coming out afterwards in a joint press conference to say that uh, the meeting was very productive, adding that he has no interest in absorbing anyone, uh, saying that the future of Belarusian and Russia's people is staying together, adding we're not only to survive, but we're defining opportunities for the development of our economies. Now, right now, Claire, we can tell you uh, that there is a lot of concern of Russia really trying to pressure Belarus uh, into joining this ground offensive on Ukraine. We do know that there are 300,000 additional Russian troops being trained right now. This training will finish uh, around the end of January, early February, and they could be ready to go then. There is a lot of concern here in Ukraine. Its defence ministry has come out, Claire, to say that it is really fearing uh, that there may be a potential a potentially another attempt uh, at taking the capital here, Kyiv, uh, in around February uh, and, you know, potentially drawing Belarus into this conflict as well on the ground. So that is certainly uh, very, very concerning for the next few months. And Sarah, really from everything you're saying, it will probably come as no surprise that there is no sign of a Christmas ceasefire or any sort of pause in this war over the Christmas season in Ukraine. Yeah, look, that's looking very, very unlikely. The Kremlin has ruled that out. Uh, you know, Ukraine was hoping for some sort of negotiations, but they were saying it would only happen as long as every Russian soldier, all Russian forces are out of the country. Now, the UK's defence ministry, it also came out to say that if there were any potential peace talks around Christmas time, that Russia could potentially be using them as cover to sort of rearm, redeploy its soldiers. So, you know, as you mentioned, uh, it is looking like a pretty dismal, grim Christmas uh, with really, at this stage, no, no hope, uh, it is looking like, of any kind of peace talks, Claire. Okay, Sarah. Sarah Coates and Keeve, thank you for joining us with the very latest from there tonight. Do take care. Well, my panel tonight has been Gael TD, Alan Farrell, Independent Senator Jared Crockwell, Irish Sun political correspondent Adam Higgins and Ocean FM broadcaster and journalist Claire Ronan. And I'm also now joined by Hannah Bazilo from the Ukrainians in Ireland group. You're very welcome along to the programme, Hannah. You must have been listening to that, to Sarah speaking there um, about what's happening in Kyiv, which is your home city, um, and the drone attacks there. While I suppose being here and hearing all about it from family still there must be very difficult. Yes, thank you very much. Of course, it's uh, heartbreaking to see the news uh, that situation is uh, getting worse uh, in uh, my hometown, in my country. Uh, we, uh, we were hoping for... Um, we knew that this winter will be very difficult, but of course we were hope, hoping for best. Uh, our hopes were crashed uh, in October when Russia started attacking critical infrastructure, leaving millions of people without electricity, water, uh, heating... Uh, but um, we also see that people still find uh, strength to continue their fight. Their resilience is admired all over the world. We admire their bravery. And for us, for Ukrainians abroad, this is also we try to help our uh, people in the country as much as we can. Um, 
Tell me about the situation for Ukrainian families who are here right now. It's in the run up to Christmas and I think people will have been struck by yet another decision to move um, families from a, a hotel in one part of the country, in this case in Dundalk, to locations in, in Kerry and in Limerick with just 48 hours notice. Um, now, that decision was criticised and there's a temporary hold on it. But from your perspective, what's been the reaction um, from the Ukrainian community to, to such decisions? Because it's not the first decision of this kind that then we've seen a U-turn on. Yes, unfortunately, this situation is not the first one, and I'm afraid it's not the last one. Uh, we were just dealing with the situation uh, in Klondalkin and uh, now here. And um, I just want to say that Ukrainians in general uh, understand the very difficult situation. Uh, we are very grateful to, to the government of Ireland for providing accommodation, for not leaving um, people uh, on the streets. And the majority of people are not against being moved to another places. But of course, uh, a two uh, days notice is uh, not uh, this, the way uh, it should be done. And uh, in normal situation, moving homes, uh, moving kids from one location is already a huge stress. Moving school. Yes, exactly. And it's in any kind of like normal life, it's a big stress for anyone. And here, of course, people were forced to leave their homes, leave their uh, families behind. And especially in the times like Christmas, Christmas is uh, the most important holiday for Ukrainians. And like in Ireland, we celebrate it with our family and relatives. And of course, uh, we want to be together in our new communities. Yeah, Alan Farrell, I want to ask you about that because it does seem particularly harsh on those families with yeah. 48 hours notice that you have to up sticks, leave the community mm -hmm. which you've been mixing with, mm -hmm. we at schools and, and we know that, you know, local families and mm -hmm. there's been a lot of support at local level. And then it seems completely counterproductive to move these families to yeah. a completely other part of the country, away from schools and away from all the community resources. I, I have absolutely nothing to say in defence of a decision to not give Only that these are decisions are being made at, at government level. Well, I, I mean, that, that sort of decision is not being made at government level. Um, Who's making I, I the think, call? I think it is a disgrace that no notice was given to these families for the reasons that both yourself and, and Hannah have outlined, I mean, particularly, oh, sorry, just, just particularly with who, young who is children. Making, who's making the call? Well, I mean, the circumstances uh, that occurred in Kerry, the circumstances that were mentioned in Dundalk and, and now uh, this evening uh, in Dundalk, I, I mean, those decisions in certain instances with the provision of private facilities are not being made by by the Department of Children that Who's making by them? the private providers of those facilities. Is that what's happening? Well, I can't speak to the specifics of that one. I'm not aware so of it break... until this evening. So it's the hotels? But what I'm saying to you is, is that more notice must be given to these families because they have to make plans, particularly when it comes to children. Uh, going to school, it's not as straightforward as I'd, I'd you can love, move I'd to another to get, property, I would Claire. love to get clarity on who's well, making you, these decisions. Well, you'd have to go because... and ask the Department of Children as to the specifics of it. But my but understanding you... in the two prior incidents of this happening in recent months, there were not decisions of the Department of Children. In particular, one was a hotel and one was a, another facility that was retasked, as far as I know, uh, with housing Ukrainian refugees. But who's, there yes. were not decisions I guess who's made doing the, the retasking? Well, what we really need to do is what we really need to do is put in place a, 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 an arrangement where if a facility is only temporarily available for a certain number of months that the end date of that is known so that in the weeks prior uh, that the families who are in those facilities are told in advance um, of time. 
And we're talking about this, Jared Crockwell, and we were talking before the break about where, you know, ministers are going to go and who's moving to what portfolio. Um, do you believe the department is over? Like, it's interesting now that the department of, or the, an element of, you know, duty over children has gone to the Taoiseach's department. But do you believe that there's enough organisation at government level around the whole issue of refugees? Because we know that there are, we know we've seen a big increase and it, it, it would appear to an outsider that the system is overwhelmed. Okay, I mean, when the Ukraine war started last year, uh, or sorry, earlier this year, I predicted at that time that there would be 50,000 refugees in Ireland. And the Ukrainian people don't, don't like to be referred to as refugees. They prefer to be called displaced people because they all want to go back home. But <clears throat> the problem is sort of threefold. The United Kingdom changed its position regarding international refugees mm. and asylum seekers. A lot of those people have now come from the UK <coughs> to Northern Ireland into the Republic. That has created an influx that we weren't prepared for. Is the department organised? I don't think you can be organised, but I do think they could do their job better. And I'm not criticising the minister here. I'm criticising people who, for example, we have a hotel not too far from here that was taken over for asylum seekers stroke refugees stroke Ukrainian people. No engagement whatsoever with the local authority members in the area who ultimately face questions from the public. No rebuke of the UK from Ireland for the way these people, the, the international asylum seekers, are finding their way to Ireland just because the UK under Boris Johnson took a, a, a well, step. I, well, if we're discussing here just simply about the likes of a 48-hour notice and moving sort of Ukrainian families from one part of the country to the other and essentially internal, you know, movements for people yeah. who've already had to come through a war situation, yeah. Yeah. Um, specifically on, on that matter and whether yeah. the, the, you know, there is enough organisation and whether the, the, those plans are well, absolutely adequately for people a absolutely. who need Absolutely. If you're shelter. living in a hotel in Dundalk and your children are going to school there and you've found work in the location, the very least we can do is have a long-term plan there. Mm. There is no long-term plan. We're finding contracts are coming to an end. People have to be moved. In the case of Dundalk, I understand that the rooms were reserved for international protection people, not for Ukrainians and that that is impacting the fact that Ukrainians have to get out. I mean, we have a two-tier system going on here, if not a three-tier system. Um, there has to be a, a way of dealing with people where you don't send somebody from Dundalk to Limerick uh, overnight with 48 notice. All right. I, I want to talk um, because to Tanya Ward from the Children's Rights Alliance. She joins us on Skype tonight because uh, the Irish Refugee Council has called for the immediate removal of children and their families from the city with City West Transit Hub in Dublin, where it says they're at serious risk of harm. Tanya, you're welcome to the programme. Um, when you hear those concerns from the Refugee Council about um, the number of, of children at the Transit Hub, I think it's 68 children they would like to see removed from that hub because they don't believe it is a safe place from them, um, from, a, from a children's rights. And from that point of view, what would your big concerns be? 
Yeah, I suppose when I hear the concerns of the Refugee Council, and they actually visited uh, City West uh, back in uh, uh, mid-November, and they wrote to the government on the 1st of December, and they visited an overflow centre where people seeking international protection were being accommodated. And I suppose what is very concerning is that the fundamentals of the situation are at issue. You know, people are in a very overcrowded situation on mattresses, beds are uh, right beside each other. uh, there's very little space, and, and some families are, are there up to up to three weeks in that situation. And I suppose what the Refugee Council is zoning in on is, I suppose, does this pose safety issues for children when you have significant numbers of children being accommodated with adults, stranger adults, in very close proximity, um, having to share showers? Uh, there may be someone supervising the showers, but still, it's it, it's not what most people would would like to see: is their children sharing um, uh, their private cub- cubicle showers. With, with, with strangers from other parts of the world. I suppose from my own perspective, I think uh, I, I, and immediately I'd love to see a child protection and welfare expert go in and just do an independent assessment to make sure that children aren't at immediate risk within the centre. But the truth is we need to get children and, and families out of that centre because living like that for, for any length of time just isn't good for, for, the, for the children or families. Yeah, and for think, the children, it's... Sorry, Tanya, when you hear of this backlog in the system and the difficulties in, in, in securing accommodation, what should be done then in the immediate term? Do you think it's a case that actually, look, they will. They may have to stay there for some time. Um, or should there be immediate provision for those dozens of children, um, some 68 children, I think, to, to leave immediately? I think there has to be immediate provision, um, to be honest, to start moving them out. I don't think you can have families living like that for, for one or two or three weeks. It's a very stressful situation for the parents and for the children. It's very unsettling. You know, there's nothing normal about it um, if you're living like that. I, I think there obviously are cracks in the system, the fact that we now have a situation where families are living in very inappropriate situations. And what's disappointing about it, I think, overall, is actually so much work had been done very in the last couple of years to improve the reception experience for families and for children arriving in Ireland. And I suppose what we're seeing now is a low point, really, in, in the reception system. Um, Adam, on this as well, pressure for the government over the coming weeks, because this processing centre is actually going to close as well over Christmas. Mm. And we know that, you know, that the, the message has been to people in Ukraine not not to come to Ireland um, over the Christmas period. That's right. The minister met with the ambassador, I think it was last week, and asked them to send out this message that if you're safe, somewhere safe, that now is not the right time to come to Ireland because we, we have no accommodation to be, to be able to stood, stand up. And I think one thing that's going to become a bit of an issue over the coming weeks is that the hotels at the moment are getting busy with holiday travellers and so the rooms aren't there available to take over for the state for the use of Ukrainian refugees. And another issue is that the local council staff and the department staff will be taking their holidays as they're well-deserved after this year. And they won't have the capacity to stand up new facilities for the next week or two. And that's where it's going to create this pinch point for the new accommodation. Yeah, um, uh, plenty of pressures really on the system we're likely to see, Claire. And yet for the families that are here and are integrating in some rural communities, like I think close to you in Sligo, um, there, there, there is there is good integration there, there is, and there are good community supports for those is, who know, need it once they get into the into the system, if you like. Exactly, we have three hundred um, people living in a facility very close to where I live, and I mean, at one stage, 
we live in a, I live in a rural village in Sligo and at one stage we thought we'd lose the bus because there was never anyone on it. And now one day a double-decker bus, I think it was the first time it ever came out that side of Sligo. Um, also in the schools, you know, I mean, in rural Ireland, we've more teachers coming into the schools. And the one thing that we, I, I've got to know some of them, you know, they're around. Um, one thing, one lady just said to me recently was on New Year's Eve, uh, they always watch the president and then they pop a cork at 12 o'clock and everyone makes a wish. And she said, I bet you every single Ukrainian person, no matter where they are in the world, has one wish. And of course, it wouldn't take a genius to, to guess what that I is. And you'd agree with that. Yes, yeah. absolutely. We all want peace. We want peace in our country. We want this war to be over. And uh, today is a special day because today is St. Nicholas Day and um, it's the day when our Christmas tree is being lit in uh, the main square. And this uh, year the Christmas tree is um, lit with Ukrainian um, flag colors and peace uh, doves as a symbol of peace. And also the, um, the flags of the countries that support our country in these uh, horrible times. And I know that Ireland is among them. All right. OK, well, thank you so much for coming on, on the programme tonight. We do appreciate it, Hannah, especially when you are receiving, you know, worrying news from home and dealing with that over the Christmas season. So we appreciate that. And my thanks to Tana, Tanya also, who joined us via Skype. Um, coming up next, Donald Trump is set to face criminal charges over the January 6th riots. Do stay with us. Welcome back in the United States. The panel investigating the January 6th Capitol Hill attack has recommended criminal charges against Donald Trump. The investigating committee says the former U.S. president should face four federal charges, including citing an insurrection over the riot. The committee interviewed more than 1,000 witnesses and collected millions of documents as it worked to establish what happened on January 6th of 2021. Its final report will be released to the public later this week. Uh, my panel tonight is Fine Gael TD, Alan Farrell, Independent Senator Gerard Crockwell, Irish Sun political correspondent Adam Higgins and Ocean FM broadcaster and journalist Claire Ronan. Um, to come to you on this, Alan Farrell, I, I don't know if it's a great surprise really that he's set to face these possible charges um, after all this evidence was heard, hmm. um, including citing an insurrection. Hmm. Um, pretty stark, though, against a former president. Very serious. And, and I believe the first time um, that a parliamentary committee in the United States has, has uh, pushed for charges to be made against a former president. So it is very serious. Now, what happens next is entirely a matter for the uh, Department of Justice in the United States. But I do think, uh, broadly speaking, that this is a real test of their democracy. Um, you know, following four years of, of Trump's presidency and the debasing of the United States mm -hmm. as a country in the eyes of everybody across the world. Um, you know, the US for 60, 70 years has been this beacon. Um, you know, the, the post-war years, jobs for everybody, hundreds of, hundreds of millions of dollars in, 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 in annual turnover as a country when everybody else was relatively poor. Um, and now they're coming to a real test of their democracy, a real test of their constitution as to whether they actually follow through on this. Because I don't think that the public uh, deserves for this to be fudged or for uh, there to be political interference in the delivery of justice. And yet it seems with Donald Trump, there's so much talk, but as yet, not a huge amount of action. This does appear to be significant, though, Gerard. Um, 
he could face hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines and up to 20 years behind bars if, this, if he is convicted. Yeah, I think we're in a very dangerous situation with Trump now. This narcissist came to power uh, as president of the United States. And in my view, he has caused the world great damage. He has done a, a huge disservice to what they, the United States, term as the greatest democracy in the world. And in some way or other, this narcissist has captured the Republican Party and has massive support. The charges today... I, I haven't seen the report, but definitely from what we saw on Capitol Hill, there are questions to be answered from uh, January. But um, what will we achieve if these charges, if the Justice Department execute these charges? We will see the complete polarisation of the United States. Mm. We will see, I believe, violence. And it could conceivably go to civil war. Well, we, we have already, of course, seen violence with the transition of, of power and what, what happened um, on that day on the Capitol. His support base is still huge, Adam. It is. But, I mean, surely if the Department of Justice pressed these charges and he's found guilty, there's no way the Republican Party can stick with him to be the candidate for the next, the next time around. It would be just crazy to, to have that sort of a situation. So I think... Today's result, I know this is a, a democratic committee and so people may say that there's politics involved, but surely what happens today has to damage his chances of becoming the candidate in the next election. Mm. And I think we did see, you know, it wasn't a great midterms for him in terms of, you know, those he was supporting and how, how they did in those midterm elections. Also, he's going to use this as part of this witch hunt narrative, isn't he, Claire? Yeah. Um, and, and this will only copper fasten that in his eyes and maybe in the in the eyes of his supporters as well. And he, it, like, it's extraordinary, but he's huge support, absolutely huge support. So what would concern me is if he is punished, will there be violence? Will they come mm. out in his support? Um, so, um, it, you know, what you said at the beginning is so completely true. These things come up all the time and yet he seems to snake his okay, way out of everything, mm -hmm. you know. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. It's going oh. to be a hard one to dodge. All right. OK, there we'll have to leave it. My thanks to the panel tonight, uh, leaving you with some breaking news from the music world that Terry Hall, lead singer of the UK band The Specials, has died at the age of 63. But from all the panel here, all the late team, good night. Take care. <laughs>